You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. I want to say a welcome to all of our guests this morning. I know we have several here for the baptism. We're glad that you're here. Family, friends that have uh, probably driven a little bit of a distance to get here, so we're glad that you're here. Uh, also, just a couple of announcements. We got a lot of things going on, so I want to get a couple of announcements in now. Uh, next Sunday at both services, we'll be observing communion. And also next Sunday, I'll be starting a new series in the book of Revelation. What a great time to do communion uh, where we talk about and focus on the death of Jesus Christ and his suffering, at the very same time we start walking through the book that reveals Jesus Christ and all of his fullness. So we'll begin that next week. When you come in, uh, you can pick up the elements for communion when you come in if you choose to participate in that. The other thing I will need you to know about is also next Sunday at 5 p.m. is starting point. If you've been coming to High Park for a while and you're ready to take some more steps with us to know what it means to be part of this church, how to get involved, uh, I'd love to feed you dinner, have a conversation about that. It takes about an hour, hour and a half, and uh, you can ask all the questions you want to ask in that meeting. 2 Kings 18, we've been walking the last few weeks looking at some characters in the Old Testament who, well, had some tremendous failures in their life, but God provided an incredible comeback. We took a look at Job. We looked at Gideon. We looked at Elijah last week. Today we're going to look at a guy by the name of Hezekiah. So 2 Kings chapter 18, let's pick it up in verse 13. In the 14th year of the king Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, by the way, that's 11 tons of silver, and 30 talents of gold, that is one ton of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Father, we pause this morning and we say thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, I realize where I would be without you. I realize, Father, that I would be in a miserable, miserable condition. Father, I realize that as I look back over my life, just as Pastor Bobby was talking about, that, that you've been faithful even when I was not. Father, you provided for me when I didn't deserve provision. You loved me even when I didn't love you in return. You pursued me even while I was running away. You forgave me when I didn't deserve forgiveness. And Father, in those lowest moments of my life, even in moments when I was blaming you for the mistakes that I had made, you showed me grace. And Father, time and time again, every valley, every problem, Every hardship you have used in my life to work out some of those things that needed to get out of my life. And Father, I know that there are many testimonies in this room and online this morning of exactly the same 
that you've been faithful over and over and over again, and your grace has been sufficient. So, Father, we're in all of you this morning. Sometimes, Father, we can just go through the motions of singing songs and, and not really think about what we're singing or who we're singing to. But, Father, I pray that you would check our motivations this morning, that the reason we're here is to worship and honor you. We're here this morning to hear from you. And, Lord, we know that you often speak with a still, small voice, but, Father, we're going to be quiet and we're going to listen. Father, our desire is to hear your voice. So, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. And, Father, we ask that you would move in this place. Thank you for those that are here and for those that are online. We praise your name, the name which is above all names. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I was listening to a comedian a few months ago, and he, he told a story, kind of stuck in my mind. He said that when he was a kid... In middle school, there was this one guy that was like this bully. And he just kept bullying this, this guy and kept bullying him. And eventually it turned into the bully was demanding that he give him, this kid, which is now a comedian, said, you're going to give me your lunch money every day. So this guy kept giving this bully his lunch money every day and just going without food every day. Well, eventually he gets fed up with it as anybody would. And he decides he's going to take a stand. He decides he's going to do something. But before, he, he wants to kind of get some training. So he decides that he wants to take karate. So he goes to his parents and says to his parents, I want to take karate. And the parents are like, okay, you're going to have to pay for half of the karate lessons because we can't afford it. So you're going to have to mow some lawns or whatever. So he says, okay, I'll do it. So he starts taking karate lessons. Well, after about six weeks of paying for the karate lessons, he decides it's just easier to pay the bully. So he quits karate and just starts giving the bully all of his lunch money for, for a long time after that because it was just easier. I don't know if you ever had any bullies in your life. I had some when I was growing up. I was um, in elementary school. I was not the athlete. And I, and I also wasn't the, the kid that was among the, the brainiest kids. I was always kind of in between trying to fit in somewhere. And then I also had the challenge of being rather overweight. My mom always told me that I was husky. That's kind of a 70s term. But nonetheless, that's what my mom always told me to kind of make me feel better about myself. But the reality was, is, is I was quite a bit overweight. And, and so I was an easy target for kids in school. And I got picked on over and over again for most of my fourth grade through about eighth or ninth grade when I finally started kind of growing up a little bit. And I finally got involved in some athletics and started losing some weight. But nonetheless, in those early years of middle school, it was a little rough. And there was always this one guy, always this one guy. He was bigger than me, louder than me, and he was always picking on me and some of the other kids that I hung out with because that's what he did. Now, I had a hard time with that at the time I was there. And looking back on it, I realized that, that I didn't always handle that the right way. But what I have come to realize is, is even as a pastor and as, a, as someone who's trying to follow Jesus, I have found out that bullies are not relegated just to the school playground anymore. As a matter of fact, there's quite a bit of bullies around every one of us now. And if you're trying to follow Jesus faithfully, and you're trying to do that in a way that brings honor to Christ and honor to God and honor to the God who brought you out of darkness in the light, you're trying to live out your faith in public, no doubt you've ran into some bullies. You'll find them on the internet quite often, social media, they didn't go away when you graduated high school. And now they sit behind computer screens 
and they're just as ruthless, maybe even more so now than they were when you were a kid in school. Maybe you've had those moments on social media where maybe you've posted something about your faith only to get those messages in your inbox. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, you felt like you were back on the playground in middle school where some bully was calling you out. Well, get this, there are bullies all through Scripture, from Old Testament to New Testament. Sometimes we find them as individuals. Sometimes we find them as entire tribes of people. Jesus dealt with bullies. The disciples dealt with them all through the book of Acts. And a guy by the name of King Hezekiah has got to deal with one in chapter 18 and chapter 19. There was a bully in town. This bully was the Assyrian army, and they were ruthless to the core. Everything that we've learned in archaeology about the Assyrians was that they were absolutely ruthless as they would go from tribe to tribe, city to city, and they would instill fear into those people they were trying to conquer. And we found there has been artwork that has been found. There's one piece that I looked at where the king, I think it was Shalmaneser, was laying on a on like a bed and he's eating grapes. And in the background, there are bodies hanging upside down from trees that have been decapitated. That's the kind of king that Shalmaneser and Sennacherib were. This is the kind of armies that they had that when they came into a city, you either surrendered or they would kill you. They would take the strongest and deport them to their own city. They would steal all of your money, burn all your homes, and this is what they were known for. They were like a horde of locusts that when they came, they just devoured everything. And all through Israel, there was fear, great fear of the Assyrians. One thing the Assyrians were really good at was propaganda. So not only were they ruthless when they would overtake you, but they were ruthless when they would taunt the tribes they were trying to overtake. You see, they would come into your city and they would taunt you first. They would, they would tell you why you need to surrender and they would give evidence of all of the crimes and all of the hatred and all of the murders that they had lived out in other tribes. They would play that out for you to hear with the understanding that you're supposed to surrender, that you have no power, that you have no military that can stand against them, and the best thing for you to do is just to give up, and many did. And the ones who tried to fight back often were conquered. One of the reasons that people who have put their faith in Jesus often live out their faith in silence is because of bullies. The reason we're seeing less people share the gospel, who name the name of Christ, but never tell anyone else about the Christ who's changed them, is because of the fear of being bullied. Uh, the, the reason you're not vocal about what the truth is is about any particular situation in our culture, oftentimes the reason we withdraw or retreat is because of the fear of being called out. Hezekiah, this king, and a long line of kings, has got a choice to make when faced with a bully, the same choice that you and I have to make every single day when faced with bullies. So what we want to do is we want to look at Hezekiah's life. We want to look at this bully, two of them, Shalmaneser and eventually Sennacherib, and and I want you to see how bullies have been operating for generations. And I think as we understand how they operate and why they do what they do, we can then see and maybe learn from Hezekiah's mistake, because he makes a big one at this particular moment in history. So let's pick it up in verse 1. It says, in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he was and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. So 
little bit of historical background so we understand what's going on. At this particular point in, in the nation of Israel, in their history, they have split into two kingdoms. Now, originally they were one kingdom. All of the tribes were together. All 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, descendants of Abraham, were together under David's rule. But under Solomon's rule, through a whole bunch of really bad mistakes and a whole bunch of issues that come up, the nation splits. Ten of these tribes go to the north, and they set up their own city and their own temple in a place called Samaria. Now, in the southern kingdom, which is known as Judah or Jerusalem, you have two tribes that remain there. Now, through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, these four books of the Old Testament, we have a history of kings that rule over each of these different kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Some of those kingdoms, or some of those kings over those kingdoms were horribly, ruthless, terrible people. In fact, the majority of them were. The majority of them did not honor God, did not honor his commands. They introduced idolatry back into the nation of Israel, and God is sending prophets to those kings, telling them to turn back. The northern kingdom never does. The southern kingdom, they have moments where they turn back to God and moments where they turn away. And at Hezekiah, when he becomes king at 25 years old, he's going to be a good guy. A good guy in the sense that he's going to lead the southern kingdom to follow and obey God. So what does he do? He goes in and he tears down all these altars to false gods. He goes in and he, and he begins to put reforms in place. He begins to call the people to repentance. And for a brief period of time under Hezekiah's leadership, the southern kingdom turns back to God. Now, at the same time this is happening in the northern kingdom, there is a ruthless king that is leading that kingdom. He has led the nation deeper into idolatry. So God allows the Assyrians, these ruthless killers, he allows them to go into the northern kingdom, overtake it, and destroy it. So we have Hezekiah king in the southern kingdom, but in the northern kingdom, we have this guy by the name of Shalmaneser. Look at verse 9. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Eli, the king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. And in the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hosea, of Israel, Samaria was taken. So you have the king in the south, Hezekiah, who hears that the kingdom in the north has fallen. The Assyrians have overtaken it. This king Shalmaneser is killing people ruthlessly as they've always done. And they're carrying away the Israelites into a foreign land. Look at verse 12. The reason this happened is because they, the northern kingdom, did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed or disobeyed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. Now, when we're reading through the Old Testament, especially a book like 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we need to pay attention to the timeline. Because notice what happens in verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah. So here's what happens. The timeline fast forwards. It fast forwards nearly six or seven years. Now the scene opens up again in the southern kingdom with King Hezekiah, and there's a new king over Assyria. His name is Sennacherib. He's just as evil as the guy before him. And this king of Assyria comes up against the fortified cities of Jerusalem or of Judah and tuck them. So here's what happens. Eventually, after the Assyrians take full control of the northern kingdoms, guess where they start begin to look next? The southern kingdoms. Under a new leader, Sennacherib, he begins to focus on Jerusalem. Now, why Jerusalem? Well, 
Jerusalem was known for being rather wealthy. A lot of gold, a lot of silver, a lot of money. They have a walled city, which would be important for an army like the Assyrians to be able to take control of. So there's all kinds of reasons why the king of Assyria would want the southern kingdom. So guess what he does? He goes and he begins to take some of the cities around Jerusalem and Judah. The first one to fall is a city by the name of Lachish. Now, archaeologists have done uh, recovery work in this particular area. They have actually found Lachish, and when they dug up Lachish, you know what they found? They found 1,500 bodies and a mass grave. Guess who put those bodies in that grave? Sennacherib. He killed almost the entire city. Word has reached the word of the, the ears of Hezekiah that the Assyrians are now right on his back porch, 30 miles to the south. So what is Hezekiah going to do? He has a choice in this particular moment. Let me show you what Hezekiah chooses to do. Verse 14, Hezekiah, the king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So here's the choice that Hezekiah is making. On the one hand, he could trust the God of the covenant. This God of the covenant said, covenant said to the Israelite people, I'm going to put you in this land, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to take care of you. He instructed them to build the city. He instructed them to build the temple. God's presence is in that temple. Not that the temple holds God, but God's presence is there. Hezekiah can look back across documented history of how God has provided for the nation of Israel over and over and over again. Yet, in this moment, Hezekiah decides not to put his trust in God, but to put his trust somewhere else. Notice what he does. He asked the king, what can I, he asked the king, what can I pay you? What kind of bribe can I give you that will keep you from invading my city? So the king of Assyria required Hezekiah, king of Judah, to pay 11 tons of silver and a ton of gold. Can we all just agree that is a whole bunch of money, even by our standards, but especially in theirs? An incredible amount of money. So much money that, that Hezekiah is trying to pay off this king with that now the king realizes that they don't even have enough silver and gold in their storehouses to be able to pay the debt that he just put them in. So what does he begin to do? Notice this. He goes to the temple, and he begins to strip the gold from the doors of the temple. The temple, as I've described to you before, if you were traveling to Jerusalem, the city, from any direction, the highest point of the city of Jerusalem was the temple. And historians tell us that you could see that temple for miles and miles as the sun would hit it. It would shimmer and glimmer, and you could see it for miles, almost like a big mirror reflecting and it was gold. The outside of this temple had gold on it. It had gold around the door casings. And Hezekiah is so desperate to fix this problem that he is ripping the gold off of the temple and giving it to a Gentile king who is going to destroy them unless he pays his debt. Why would Hezekiah do such a thing? Because in that moment, Hezekiah is completely driven by fear. Can I just tell I'll just tell you that when you start making decisions because of fear, when you start making decisions completely out of fear, let's just say at 99.9% .9 of the time, you're going to make some really bad decisions. 
Hezekiah in that moment, rather than putting his trust in God, decides to put his trust in himself and trust in an agreement that he has with a killer, with a bully, with Sennacherib who already has a long history of killing people, breaking promises. Hezekiah thinks that striking this deal will appease the enemy. And this is the first rule you need to understand about when you have to deal with bullies. Never, ever strike a deal with the bully. It never works. It will never work out. This bully will never be appeased. He will never take what you're going to give him and just say, okay, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to walk away. If you look at history, if you look at the Bible, we see this over and over again. Bullies are bullies because they will not stop just because you hand them some money or hand them some time or hand them some devotion. Bullies will always ask for more. Hezekiah in this moment did not trust the Lord. He trusted himself. Anytime we do that, things typically get a lot worse. And they're about to get a lot worse for Hezekiah. In verse 19, we get introduced to a guy, this one of the commanders of the army under Sennacherib. His name is Rabshakeh. And Rabshakeh shows up at the gates of Jerusalem. Now, keep this in mind. Hezekiah has just paid an enormous amount of money to the king of Assyria to get them to leave the city of Jerusalem and Judah alone. That was, part, that was what the deal was about. But because all bullies, when they make a deal, are never going to keep the agreement that you make, they're never going to stop, guess what happens? The king sends some of his commanders to the gate. I want you to listen to what these bullies have to say to Hezekiah. He says, say to Hezekiah, he's talking to the people on the gate, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? This commander of the armies calls out to the people sitting on the wall and on the gate. He says, hey, go ask your king a question. To whom is he going to trust to deliver him out of the hands of the king of Assyria? Well, you know what, you know what Hezekiah is going to say? You know what Hezekiah would say in this moment, right? Well, wait a minute. I'm going to trust in the deal that I just made with your king. And the deal that I just made cost me everything. It cost me to have to tear the gold off the temple to pay you off. And now you're at my gate saying you're going to destroy us? Hezekiah has put his trust in something that cannot deliver. So Rabshakeh comes and says and begins to taunt the king. And the first thing that he does is he attacks his faith. Where are you putting your trust? That's actually a very good question. Hezekiah has not put his trust in God concerning the nation of Assyria. But Rabshakeh, he doesn't really care about Jehovah God or any other God. Verse 20 says, do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust? that you have rebelled against me. Behold, you are now trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Now there's a whole other story to what Hezekiah is doing here that's in the background that you need to know. Not only was Hezekiah putting trust in the agreement that he made with this king, but he's also putting trust in Egypt. He had went to Egypt and begged Egypt to come and help Judah and Jerusalem stand against the Assyrian army. So Rabshakeh calls him out and says, look, you've put your trust in an agreement. You've put your trust 
And a handshake with my king, you put your trust in Egypt, but let me tell you, none of this matters because we're going to destroy you. And Egypt's not going to be able to save you. And by the way, your God is not going to be able to save you. Notice this. He says, are you going to call out to God? Verse 25, moreover, is it the Lord? Is it without the Lord? I'm sorry. Back up uh, verse 22. Here it is. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is he not with those high places and altars that Hezekiah has destroyed? Look at verse 33. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of those gods? Has, has any god that we've been able to conquer, any tribe, has any god that they worship been able to defeat us? Rabshakeh would say no. And by the way, your god is no different. Your city's going to fall. Your god will not protect you. Egypt will not protect you. And by the way, you're so weak that you can't even stand against us. Verse 23 he says, come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able to part, in part, to set riders on them. In other words, Rabshakeh says, you don't even have enough people to fight. So not only are we going to attack your faith and demean your God, but we're going to point out your weaknesses, and your weaknesses are obvious. This is what bullies do, by the way. They say to the people sitting on the wall, look, you don't have enough fighters to even fight. If I gave you 2,000 horses, you couldn't even put riders on them. You are weak. We are powerful. Your leader is weak. Your God is weak. Not only that, but are you going to listen to Hezekiah? Verse 29 and 30, look at this. He says, in verse 29, he says, Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us, because if you look at every tribe we've conquered, they had their little gods, and we conquered them, and we're going to do the same to you. Don't trust your leader, don't trust your God, don't trust in the gold and silver that you gave us, and don't trust in Egypt. The best thing you can do, verse 31, is give up. Look at what he says in verse 31. He says, do not listen to Hezekiah, the king of Assyria, make your peace with me. Come out to me, then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each of his own fig tree, and each of you will drink the water of his own cistern. In other words, Rabshakeh says, if you'll just surrender, your life will be great. If you'll just listen to me, I'll take care of you. I'll give you all that you need. And uh, you can just give up on your religion and give up on your city. You know, I am, I am seeing the exact same thing happen today in this moment because we have bullies that are calling out to us as a church saying, you need to give up on all this talk about Jesus. You need to give up all this talk about that he is the only way. You know how closed-minded that is? We, we have people telling us what we should believe about human sexuality, about what life with purpose looks like. We, we have a culture that is telling us and even demanding of us to abandon what we know to be true. And some of you have gotten into a place where the bully has gotten so loud in your ears, you're beginning to wonder if what you believe is actually true. Just had a conversation with someone recently who was asking some questions about whether this was true or not. And I had to look at that person and go, you know what is true. You know what the Bible says about that. You know exactly what is true and what is a lie. Why are you all of a sudden in this place where you're beginning to wonder? It's still true. It was true yesterday. It was true 2,000 years ago. And it's true tomorrow and it'll be true forevermore. God's word shall not fail, period. So you may have a bully in your ear. Maybe it's online trying to convince you to give up. 
And here's the promise. If you'll just, if, if, if High Park will just give up on, on some of its beliefs and just abandon the Bible, then you can come and join us and we can, we can be together and we can, we can uh, well, we can just have a great time. Back 15 years ago, the idea was that churches become what was called seeker-friendly at the time. The idea was is that if we can become more like the world, then we can reach the world. That was a lie straight out of Satan's mouth. That if we become more like the world, then we can reach the world. That didn't work. It still doesn't work. And a lot of that was because there were some bullies. Ultimately, what King Assyria wanted here was them to give up. Just be easier to give up. Church, it would just be easier to just go with the culture. Church, it would be easier for us to give up on our convictions. Church, it would be easier for us just to abandon the gospel. Church, it would be easier for us to abandon the inerrant scriptures that we hold dear. It would be a whole lot easier just to run the direction the world is running. But we can't do that, can we? We can't. The reason we can't is because all of those who are running that direction don't realize that the bridge is out. The bridge is out. And they're running headlong towards eternity. And God has called the church to stand in the middle of that road where the bridge is out and say, turn back. Turn back. This road leads to destruction. This road is going to bring pain in your life now and for all eternity. Turn back. Now, what good are we if we start saying the same thing they're saying? If we know the bridge is out, if we know the destruction is in their path, and for some of you this morning who've never put your faith in Jesus, trust me when I tell you the path you are walking, the bridge is out. God hasn't called me to just come alongside you and tell you how great you are and how wonderful you are and how that everything's just all going to work out in the end, that, that many paths lead to God and many paths lead to reconciliation. I'm not called to do that because that's not true. But the world would love for us to just abandon the gospel, abandon this Jesus who died publicly on a cross, abandon the idea that this Jesus who died on a cross was placed in an empty tomb and resurrected three days later. They would love for us to think that that's just a fable. That the Jesus of 2,000 years ago has no impact on your life today. That is all what bullies say because bullies want you to give up. I am thankful for the four kids we're getting ready to baptize here in a little bit. Because you know what, you know what they're going to say by going into this baptistry right here? You know what they're going to say along with their dads? They're going to say, our faith is in Jesus. That we're not going to listen to the culture that we're going to follow him and we're going to follow him into this baptistry, but we're going to follow him in our lives moving forward. I'm thankful for their courage. So when we think about bullies, bullies want you to give up. They want you to quit pushing back. They, they want you to give them everything. And by the way, they're never going to be satisfied, whether they're online or whether they're at your job or they're at your school. We have college students that are getting ready to start their first semester at a college. We have students that have just moved into their first college dorm room this week. Do you think there's going to be some bullies on that campus? Do you, do you think that some of those bullies may actually be the professors that they're going to sit under? We have students in this church 
who went off to college and they have reported back that the very first class that they walked into, whether it be philosophy or world history or world religions, the first thing the professor said in many of those classes was, if you're a Christian, you need to leave that at the door. Does that sound like a bully? Our high school students, returning back to high school in a few weeks, do you think there's going to be some kids on the campus at the high school that are going to make fun of some of our kids because they have faith in Jesus? Because they gather at the flagpole and pray? Because they have a Bible study before class begins in the morning? You think they're going to make fun of? Yeah, probably so. The kids are going to be baptized. We're going to celebrate that today. But they need to know and they need to hear, they need to clearly understand that walking with Jesus is not an easy path. Adults that's been doing it for a while, you know that to be true. So while we're going to celebrate in a little while, the reality is, is that following Jesus seems to attract bullies. <laughs> it seems to attract people that, well, are constantly making fun of something you take very seriously. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that so many bullies are so much alike? If you go over to Jesus, go over to the New Testament, who are the bullies? The Pharisees, the Sadducees. Man, they were bullies. They were good at it. And they used religion as their tool to inflict pain and eventually lead to Jesus being arrested and put on a cross. They were pretty good at what they did. And they didn't stop after Jesus' resurrection. Notice what happens in Acts 2 and 3 and 4. The disciples are dealing with the same exact bullies that condemned Jesus to die on the cross. And all down through history and time, where do we find? We find lots and lots of bullies. So you, the same choice that Hezekiah has is the same choice that you have. What are you going to do? Karate lessons? <laughs> Probably not. You've got a choice to make. Whether you're going to put your faith in God in that moment or whether you're going to try to take control of yourself and appease the bully. Why are so many bullies alike? Why do we, all through Scripture, we find these bullies, we have the same characteristics. I'll tell you why. Because they have a father who's the greatest bully of all, Satan himself. Yes, I believe in Satan. Yes, I believe he's real. Yes, I believe he's roaming the earth, seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. The Bible says that he's real. I believe that he's real. And I also believe that he is seeking to destroy families. And he has, well, agents that are in his kingdom work. And boy, they all look a lot like bullies. You know what often gets bullies to no longer be bullies? When somebody more powerful shows up on the playground. You know, the bullies, the big guys, when I was in school, the, 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 the big bully was picking on me. He, he never picked on anybody older than him or bigger than him, right? He, al he always picked on the younger kids, the underclassmen. But you, you, let a, you let a senior come out on the field or you let, you let somebody else go, all of a sudden, the bully gets really, well, compliant. Well, let me tell you about the one who came on the field who put everyone in his place, and especially the greatest bully of all. Jesus Christ the righteous comes, dies, buried, resurrects, ascends back to the Father. Satan himself is underneath the thumb of Jesus, has nothing he can do outside the control of the Godhead Trinity. Satan has been defeated. Satan is a absolute, has lost it all through that cross and through that resurrection. So a greater power has shown up, and that's the power that has changed your life, and that's the power you must put your trust when the bullies get loud. 
That's exactly where you have to run. Running anywhere else, running anywhere else just makes it worse. You cannot appease the bully. Oswald Chambers, you probably have read some of his devotionals. Uh, he said this, and I'll close here. The remarkable quote, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. What are you afraid of? Are you, are you afraid of taking a stand? Are you afraid of being isolated? Are you afraid of being called out? Whatever you are afraid of is slowly but surely becoming a God in your life. Think about it. Whatever you're afraid of is what is controlling you. Whatever's controlling you, well, by default, that is a God, not the real and true God, but a less than God. Fear controls you, and whatever it is that you're afraid of is then what basically owns you at that point. So the bullies use fear to their advantage in that they want to control you. But you who put your faith in Jesus, you have a new king. You have a new Lord. You have, a, you have one who is completely and sovereignly in control of all things. To run anywhere else except to him would be a failure. Not only will it be a failure, but things will get astronomically worse. So the question this morning as we worship together in this last song, the question is, is what are you afraid of? And what are you running to in the middle of that fear? Father in heaven, your goodness and grace is sufficient. We've experienced it. And it is beautiful and amazing. Father, I'm thankful for this church. And I'm thankful for the great blessing of being able to serve this body. But Father, I know that coming in the future, there's going to be a whole lot more bullies that show up. We've already seen it. We've already experienced it with some of the stands that we've had to take. And Father, by your grace, by your power, we will continue to stand upon your word. But Father, we know that more bullies are coming. And Father, right now in this room, there are some people that are being controlled by their fears. Fear of what tomorrow holds. Fear of failure fear of a particular person in their life, fear of, of doing what you're asking them to do, fear of putting their faith and trust completely in you. Father, they are completely ruled by fear. So Father, I pray that you would set them free this morning, that their trust and faith would be completely and totally on you. Have your will and your way in this moment. Heal hearts, call us to a deeper place with you, and Father, that we would be completely and totally obedient in all matters in this very moment, that we'd be obedient to you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together in this worship. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook.